Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is Chris Liu, who is co-founder of Copy.ai. It's a company that I'm kind of insanely excited about right now. It is an AI copywriting platform that uses cutting-edge artificial intelligence to help marketers and entrepreneurs grow their businesses. Chris worked at the ESO Fund for the past five years, and he's passionate about early-stage investing and entrepreneurship. He's angel-invested in over 20 companies, especially in the passion economy, climate, crypto, and ed tech. So Chris, welcome to the Second Command podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me, Cameron. Yeah, of course. So I'm, as I said, super excited about copy.ai. I heard about it. Um, wow. When was it? Probably about a month ago and it was either on clubhouse or trends. No, I heard about it on clubhouse and then I shared it on the trends community online. Um, and it's just kind of blown up. Like people are super, super excited about this. So tell everybody what, what copy.ai is and then how did you and your co-founder Paul uh, get the idea to get this going? Yeah, for sure. So copy.ai is kind of what the name says. Um, yeah, we use a, the latest technologies in AI to help companies, specifically smaller businesses uh, and solopreneurs, um, write their marketing copy and help brainstorm their marketing copy. Uh, we have a mission to help people create more, live more, and love more. Um, and we can dive a little deeper into that later in the episode. Um, but recent AI advances have gotten pretty insane. Uh, and these AI can actually write uh, quite coherently. Um, and we're just us- utilizing that technology to help empower the everyday people and make it accessible to people globally. Okay. So give us an example of what, uh, what it might be used for. Give us like one, maybe one or two little quick case studies of what somebody might use it for. Got it. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are freelance social media managers out there and their main limitation is the number of clients they can take on. And they have to create a lot of content, whether it's mm. Instagram captions, mm. the carousel posts, you know, videos on social media, on various other channels. It, it's a lot. And they suffer from writer's block quite a, a bit. <laughs> and so using our tool, they can actually just plug in the context for the company that they're uh, you know, consulting for and immediately get back you know, seven ideas every like 10 seconds. They can basically continue to click that button and get a bunch of unique ideas. And then you can actually add or change the context. So for example, if you wanted to do a post around Christmas, you can add like for this Christmas and the results will actually synthesize uh, you know, the brand and, you know, it's a holiday and give you results based off of that, that given context. It's crazy. Cause I, I went on when I heard about this a month ago, I jumped all over it just cause I'm a quick start. I'm a, I'm a four, three, nine, three Colby. I'm a 98 in disc. I'm like, I just execute and I plan later. So I'm like, this sounds amazing. I got to go check it out. And I typed in COO Alliance as the name of my company. And then I typed in the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command to grow their leadership skills just off the top of my head, that's what I wrote down. And the copy suggestions that I came back with instantly blew my mind. And some were a little bit, you know, odd. It was like, you know, Kevin Spade is the CEO. I'm like, no, it's clearly Cameron Harold. But like, but wow, like the rest of it, it's it's all at 90% completed. You tweak it a little bit and you can press 
go and you're, you're good with posts. So I sent it off to the woman who runs my social media team for me. She was blown away. And then I sent it off to the CEOs of two quite large digital marketing agencies. One has 700 employees, one has 250. And I'm friends with their CEOs. They were blown away with it. So you're clearly onto something. How are you managing the, um, how are you managing the growth and the viral demand for this? And is this kind of another WhatsApp where you can sell for $1.8 billion with only 55 employees? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Wow, thank you so much for sharing with all those people. <laughs> like that, that's actually huge. And word of mouth has been probably our most uh, viral channel. But what's actually more important, I guess, is the vision that we have behind the company, which is to truly empower people globally. Um, and so uh, everything we do kind of uh, fit, comes from that thesis. Um, so Paul, my, our CEO, CEO uh, is our chief cheerleader, I guess, in some ways. And he um, posts about our mission on Twitter a lot. And he's also fully transparent when building the company. So, you know, every month we give basically our investor update to our entire Twitter following and make it completely public. And the goal here is to inspire more and more people to start companies. So far, we've been pretty capital efficient and it really doesn't take too much of a team to get to where we, we are. But uh, when you have such a large vision, uh, it will probably require some more people and to execute on a lot more. We hope to touch the lives of everyone. And we have the stretch goal of a billion new companies uh, in the next decade. And it's a little bit far, far-fetched, but if every single person has, you know, two or three companies because, you know, it's easy to start them, I think it's possible. Yeah, it's incredible the number of entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial people that you'll you'll um, empower for sure. So two friends of mine um, just came out with a book in the, about the last quarter, Dan Sullivan, who built Strategic Coach, and Ben Hardy, who is the number one writer on Medium, came out with a book called Who Not How?, and um, they're really pushing this whole concept of, you know, I need to know how to do something. It's like, no, you need to know the person that knows how to do it. And I've kind of jumped that shark already. I hate that term, but I've jumped over that concept of who, not how. And I'm starting to think about what AI exists that I can plug in instead of a person, right? So yeah, I kind of follow the, the idea of stop, optimize, automate, outsource. And the automate is really the AI component. So how are you how are you working around the or are you trying to combat the outsourcing of copywriting and kind of wedge your way in between is that a part of your strategic plan or part of your your marketing plan at all yeah that's a great question i guess it goes back to a philosophical point that really matters to us so there's been this narrative that ai is coming for your jobs and it's been the biggest narrative that's been pushed over the last decade uh, since AI even became a thing um, in every medium. Uh, but what people don't realize and think about is if AI actually does replace some jobs, it makes other things easier to do because you have sure. less people needed to get done. Yep. Uh, and that works multiple ways. People also believe AI in a way of really, like, it's so powerful, it just knows everything. And while that is somewhat true, it's not fully true. Uh, the way we see AI is it, it it's like a Harry Potter spell. <laughs> it, it's as powerful as it is in the hands of the user. Mm. And the really, really good copywriters actually love our product because it gives them superpowers. They're great yeah. at editing. They're great 
at, you know, like creating and like feeling the story once it's written. So a lot of sure. the best operators today already outsource the first draft, you know, on a per word basis uh, using Upwork. Here, they can actually get to that first draft a lot faster uh, and basically at any given time about any given topic, which is well, that, powerful. That's what I'm wondering is will, will copy.ai start to push away some of those outsourced, um, you know, beginning stage copywriting to now kind of, and I, I'm not worried about jobs. I think we'll always be able to create more opportunities. And, but I'm curious whether that, you know, why would I bother outsourcing the copy to the you know, Manila or Bulgaria or Philippines when I can just crank it out with a computer in two seconds and then, and then polish it? Is that part of, again, the marketing, do you think, or will, will that just happen organically? Yeah, I think that'll happen organically. You know, we're already seeing early signs of it. We get some user feedback saying like, yeah, I mean, in about 10 minutes, I can crank out a first rough draft of a thousand, you know, word article. And we ask him, well, how do you do that? <laughs> and he like, you know, uses our tool a lot and understands how it's kind of built and he, it allows them to, to do that. Um, that is part of the longer term goal because uh, we don't believe that a lot of those people enjoy writing that first draft. It is there's a reason why everyone outsources it. Yeah, it's too it's too much. It's too hard to come up with a creative idea every day or, exactly. or every hour. Exactly. So we would rather you uh, you know outsource it to us. We help you create it, and then you can edit it. And what this means, though, is all the people who are writing those first drafts initially, they'll actually have more time to focus on other things. And if there will be a skill set of using this AI as well, that where it's like a layer on top where they're going to be able to process and make a lot more first drafts um, than they were able to before. Yeah. So now this will do subject lines. It'll do headers. It'll do copy. It'll do tweets. It will do blog content. What other kinds of content is it creating right now? Uh, man, we have some fun ones. And then we also have some more serious ones. Um, my favorites are actually the copywriting formulas because they're pretty well-defined. Um, like, for example, pain agitates solution. That is a, the world's oldest sales formula, and it works so well. And you really try to focus on the pain points. Because this AI is a massive, massive model and understands context really well, oh. it can take your input and then create or find the pain points associated with it that it thinks is like, you know, right. So uh, for example, for copy AI, when you run it through there, they're like, oh man, it takes too long where you can't focus on the rest of your business and stuff that's wow. that you don't like. And then it like knows how to agitate it even further. <laughs> it's like, uh, can you imagine like the next 10 years of doing this or like, you know, stuff along those lines. And then it leads you to the solution. So because it is a formulaic um, brainstorming exercise, it's really, really good at that. That's super cool. Um, That's very similar to the Xerox uh, back 40 years ago had what they called spin selling, which was simple, a situation problem implication needs payoff. So it sounds like it's very similar to this, um, the model that you're talking about. And it can actually generate those pain points and, exactly. then, and, and build off of That's unbelievable. It's up to you to determine whether the pain point is valid or not. <laughs> it will write it. And then it's like, well, is that really a pain point? Or is that more of like a you know, just an annoyance. And that's up to the user to decide, but it also helps you brainstorm because if you run it through a bunch of times and the pain points just don't feel like true pain points to you, you know, maybe you're, you save some time not pursuing that idea or you change your idea up a bit. So it's really interesting. Um, 
uh, well, this is getting a little off topic, but you actually have, you, you brainstorm more as you use our tool. Mm. You get exposed to ideas and thoughts that you didn't have before, mm. no matter how experienced you are. Interesting. Sure. You find new angles and that changes the way you think about what you're working on. And that's actually one of the best parts. It's interesting. When we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we were really um, getting quite well known for all the press re- press coverage we were getting. We had 5,200 stories written about our company in six years, including being on Oprah. And we used to talk about reading the newspaper with both eyes. And what we meant by it was, we're going to read the story, but we're also going to read the caption and the headline and get to understand how they were marketing that story to the reader. And, and by reading with both eyes, we began to learn how to pitch the journalists and we were just much more successful in pitching. It sounds like that same idea. Your copywriting skills are going to get developed by seeing all this stuff coming at you so quickly. Exactly. And I know I'm a bad writer, but my ability to identify uh, you know, pretty good copy has, I think, improved significantly since we started this company. That's cool. Um, yeah. Go ahead. A more fun one that we're about to launch, oh, that we actually just launched yesterday, is a Valentine's Day card. I, I was wondering, are you going to do the "I love you" notes, and can I? And how about the apologies? Like, I'm so sorry, I ruined our dinner date. Kind of. Exactly. Um, you know, you, and you can do so much with it. Uh, and my girlfriend has noticed that you know the words I use, uh, even in our day-to-day conversations has gotten better because I'm just exposed to more uh, wider vocabulary and more analogies. It's like your eyes are as deep as the ocean. It's like, oh, wow, that's really powerful and deep. And then so when I talk to her, I may use a similar analogy or something that's like a little bit different, but I find it just popping into my brain now instead of, you know, the, the usual I love yous and whatnot. Now, when you pick the filtering for the content, can you have the cheesy scale, like an up and down cheese meter or something? <laughs> Definitely. We don't have that yet. Um, you got to build that in. You should you should kind of follow Tesla's lead on that, right? Where you've got like the, I don't know, Tesla does all these little weird things like the, the Santa's sleigh and the jingle or the fart machine. And, um, exactly. We just have right. fun. <laughs> now, how many customers have you got with Copy Data? When did you start? And and what are you at now for customers? And and maybe how many countries? Give us some idea on this, the scope of where you are already. Yeah, so we launched on October 15th, uh, 2020. Um, we did not expect it to go too far. Uh, we were actually struggling to get some early customers to try to validate our idea. Um, and Paul and I decided, let's just tweet it out. And so he puts out a tweet. It gets 200,000 impressions. Um, and drives 2,000 signups, you know, in that first day. And that kind of kickstarted the entire process. Um, today, we are, we actually, yesterday, we just broke 1,000 customers, um, which is absolutely insane to me. <laughs> um, and we are in, I actually don't know the exact number of countries, but it's, it's, a, it's a high number. It's probably somewhere around like 20, 20 countries. Um, but most of our customers are these small businesses, entrepreneurs, um, and so it's like usually one or two customers in yeah. some of these different countries. So four and a half months from zero to a thousand customers. And how many employees still? Just the two of you? Just the two of us. So, yeah. so are you outsourcing the, the development? Are you outsourcing some of the marketing? What are you outsourcing right now? And what are you guys, what are the two of you running? Uh, we actually aren't running any marketing. So if you were to see our building in public as marketing, then my co-founder and the CEO, Paul, is doing that. Um, I'm actually the developer. <laughs> um, we do outsource some of the development for some side pieces. So we're about to launch a Chrome extension. Um, and that was outsourced. Um, 
But other than that, we've run really lean. Um, we did have some contractors along the way, some copywriters to help us generate these tools uh, in a way that works really well. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's been pretty small. And the, the, the AI, forgive me for, for not understanding the terminology, but the, there's like an application that you're built off of, right? Like, did you license, is it Google's AI or whose, whose AI are you built off of and, and explain to people how that works? Cause this is pretty new for everybody. Yeah. We're licensed off of open AI and that is, um, a venture by a lot of the best people that I like in Silicon Valley. Um, and Elon Musk was one of the early backers. Um, the interesting thing about them was they had this thesis where if you build a large enough um, algorithm, it starts to become pretty smart. And uh, we saw early signs of it. So before GPT-3, there was GPT-2 and then GPT. Um, GPT-2 was the first one that really caught our eye and attention from a lot of people. Um, and Paul spent I don't even know, like 40, 50 hours playing with that, uh, just clicking the generate more. The issue was one in a hundred results were like mind blowing. Um, and then maybe one in 10 or one in 20 was like mediocre or okay. Mm. But it shows you the early signs of like, wow, this thing has potential. Yeah. Um, so we kept it on the back burner. And then GPT-3 came out. And immediately we're like, oh my God, it's like three out of 10 is, or like one out of 10 is like mind blowing. Three out of 10 are like incredible. Um, and then there's some, you know, stuff mixed in there as well. Uh, and that was really eye opening to us. Um, the really interesting thing is our missions are really aligned. So oh, and uh, just, just back up for one quick sec. So open.ai, if we were to give someone an analogy of what it might be like, is it like the internet is to a a web company or like Shopify is to a small store is open.ai this like a platform for businesses like yours explain to people what what it is so that they understand because again it's pretty even gpt and gp like even telling us what that acronym stands for so they understand that in my eyes and it's not going to be the best analogy it's more like a programming language or platform that they are providing to other people. So okay. I would say it's more analogous to some no-code, low-code tools. They but all the data is there, right? Like they've downloaded 10% of the internet and downloaded all Wikipedia or something. And you're, you're kind of working off that, right? So they've done, they've, that's kind of the engineering background that you're built off of, right? Exactly. They spent all the money and all the resources to uh, generate this incredible algorithm. Uh, yeah, but mission-wise, you know, instead of having them tackle like, oh, marketing copy for small business owners, they are aiming a lot bigger. Uh, this algorithm works for other underlying data. Um, so some people are writing code with it, um, generating, you know, apps, generating UI designs. Um, and then the really crazy stuff happens around images. So they released a blog post earlier this year where you can describe an image and then the algorithm will draw it. Wow. So like, yeah, the, the, the applications are endless and they will be attacking so many massive, massive industries. They want to be the provider of all of that. And so they're really incentivized to let developers like ourselves build on top of them to solve certain very specific problems. And do you pay them a licensing fee for this or how does that work? Yeah, they, they have a, they're, they're still experimenting with the pricing, but it's on a usage basis as of right now, but they have a lot of uh, things going on. Okay. And then how, how are you guys funded? 
Uh, up to, so right after we launched, um, we started seeing some early traction. So Paul and I bootstrapped it a little bit. We're like, okay, we'll both invest a little bit of our own money. So we have some runway. Um, and then uh, we had to quit our jobs. So Paul and I were actually working together at a, at a venture firm. Um, and uh, right afterwards, we decided, you know, this is so compelling. We had to do it. And so we raised a small friends and family round. Um, and uh, yeah, we just recently closed a seed round as well. Now, has your venture fund that you used to work for invested in the seed round? So our, the venture fund we used to work for is very niche. Um, it's called the Employee Stock Option Fund. We would help uh, employees exercise their stock options and split the future upside. So direct investments like these don't quite fit into that wheelhouse, but a lot of the, our, our colleagues are angel investors. Got it. Um, in our, in well, our- I, I told, I was telling someone this morning that in, in the summer of 2008 at Burning Man at two o'clock in the morning, I told the founder of Uber, Garrett Camp, that it was the dumbest idea I'd ever heard on and, and turned down an opportunity to invest. Um, oh, no. And then Kimball Musk worked for me back in 1993. And I, I, if I'd put a, a $5,000 deposit down on the Roadster back in 2004, I think it was, I could have gotten in on the founders round. And I said, no, that's a dumb idea. So if, if you guys are looking for an angel investor that you know has a strategic big kind of net of entrepreneurs that, that I know globally, I'm happy to throw some money into the next round. <laughs> I'm not going to miss this one. You guys are on to something really cool. Thank you so much. Uh, that's the first in command's job. Okay. <laughs> well, and on- he and I met on Clubhouse, which I thought was very interesting as well. Is he on you know apps like that and social media just to build buzz? Is that what he's kind of the core role is right now, the rainmaker? Yeah. So when we look at a company, um, the CEO's job tends to be two things: hire good people and not run out of money. And to hire good people, you really need to stress the mission. Um, and at the same time, it's also our marketing channels. <laughs> so um, he spends a lot of time engaging with our user base, with audiences and potential audiences on this mission because we feel so passionately about it. And I think it's an entire wave that a lot of people will just aren't giving enough credit to. Um, so he goes out of his way to really make sure that people understand like, hey, there is a future that's more optimistic than, oh my God, we're going to be dominated by our robot overlords. Right. Um, and that the power of AI tends to be, as right now, tends to be more in this outsourced lateral thinking, outsourced creativity, where it just helps you get started. And it's empowering humans rather than replacing them. Who else, what other companies do we know of that is using AI at this point, do you think? Do you know any companies that are that maybe the users don't really, they're not keeping it secret from us, but we're just not aware? That's a great question. I think almost every single company these days uses some shape or form of AI. Uh, the question is whether or not they're using a very large, complicated model. Mm. Typically, the companies that are only able to afford the large, complicated models are the massive ones like Facebook, Google, and Amazon. Because to give you a sense of like how expensive it is to train the model once, and this is open AI model, people are speculating it would cost $15 million just to train it once. <laughs> um, and that's to test it out. So if you can imagine every single time they test it, it costs $15 million. They must have spent hundreds of millions just trying to get it to work. Um, and not to mention they have a staff of a few, I think it's a few hundred of the best AI researchers 
on earth and they're not cheap either. <laughs> uh, Google spends millions of dollars, like almost like per AI researcher. So how, how well known is it now that you can actually build something off this platform? Is it pretty well known that you can build something off openai.ai or off some of the other AI platforms? Or is that still kind of like, are people waking up to that fact? Like, um, do people think they need to build their own algorithm, I guess, is where I'm going. Ah, got it. Um, I think people are pushing it both ways. I think a lot of people are feeling uh, like there is this massive, you know, open AI, you should build on it. And we're seeing, you know, new apps being launched every day like on product hunt that are built on top of open AI. Um, among the tech industry, it's pretty standard now. Um, some people are like, oh, well, if you're built on someone else's platform, that's like really, really dangerous for you. And they're right in some ways, but um, understanding the incentives of open AI helps you mitigate that risk. Um, say, hey, well, you're built, probably built off of Amazon and Google, <laughs> uh, just in a slightly different way. Um, I think the uh, rest of the world might not be as aware. Um, social media makes it where the message can spread a little bit more, but people aren't seeing why it matters to them. They're right. seeing all these cool demos, um, but they don't get to experience like, hey, this is actually valuable to me. This moved my top. This you know, really helps you know, decrease our bottom line. Um, once they start seeing that, they truly start understanding the power of it. Yeah, that's super cool. All right. So you just did a seed round. How much did you raise in that? Um, we raised about 1.5. Okay. So 1, 1.5 million. And what are you going to use that money for right now? Yeah, we're going to build out our team a bit more. There's so much to do that there's not enough time in the day. So right now I've been kind of doing everything, um, but that's not scalable <laughs> to target all the things that we want. Um, so we're pretty much going to use it to scale up our operations and build out some processes where we can really continue to launch and execute. And are you looking for people that are based in the Bay Area? Or are you going to hire remote? What's your plan on that? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Uh, Paul is based in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm actually based in Houston. I was in the Bay Area for the last you know, five years and then covid uh, I left, you know, around February, March, and I didn't realize that I wouldn't be back. Wow. <laughs> um, and since then, you know, we both quit our jobs. So we're going to run the company fully remote um, because we do have global ambitions. And when you have global ambitions, we think we, we need to have a global user base and a global team. Um, that being said, um, yeah, it, it's going to be fully remote. And a lot of our friends are in the Bay Area. So we're probably going to be hiring out of there yep. uh, first. Um, yeah, I think it's just opened up the doors now that people, companies before that would have said, oh, I'd never have a remote team. They're now like, ah, maybe that's even better. Um, I, I coached a company called Acceleration Partners and they run the Apple or the uh, affiliate programs for Apple and Uber and Target. And wow. I coached them from like 40 people up to 100. And they're a completely remote company. Bob Glazier, uh, their CEO, just wrote another book called Virtual Teams. And they ranked as the number two company to work for in the United States. And they've never, ever, ever had an office. You know, they've That's only incredible. ever been remote and there's something pretty powerful about just being able to hire great people and, and build them out. So what do you think your first few hires are going to be? Yeah. So we are in the process of looking for a founding designer, founding engineer, um, and potentially a community manager who could really help us engage even further with a really passionate user base. Um, those three are pretty top of mind right now. Um, the designer, like, it's a role that's going to be really critical because mm -hmm. we have such large ambitions. We need someone to help set the user experience strategy. How do you 
uh, take all this complexity and simplify it down and make it intuitive. Um, we tried our best. I think we're pushed to our limits. Um, so we're looking for someone who can help us take it to the next level. Uh, engineering wise, uh, there's a lot of infrastructure to be built. Um, even though it seems like it's a simple app built on top of OpenAI right now, uh, there's a lot you can do that will improve the quality of the generations, the results and the usefulness um, and efficiency uh, that, that we need to really work on. So I'm curious how, how you guys are approaching the endless amount of opportunities you could do and how are you deciding what to say no to and what to say yes to in terms of, of what you're really going to build? Yeah, um, I think that comes down to our mission statement. It's our North Star. Yeah, let's like, go. Let's go there because you've brought up mission four times right now. So talk about your mission with you said create, live and love, I think. Yeah, create more, live more and love more. So when we look at a new tool, we want to see, is this useful to someone? Will it actually improve their lives in a meaningful way? And will it improve it along one of these tracks? So when people do come to us all the time with, you know, ideas of different tools that need to be built. But the way we prioritize them would be down to the amount of value that we could provide um, to our user base um, and to potential users. Uh, so for example, you know, we have all these business tools, right? And people love using it for business aspects, but then we throw in a few personal tools where it's like, hey, maybe this could help you out in your personal life. And that really helps solidify the fact that, hey, you know, we are trying to help individuals, whether like not just companies, we're not here to do stupid to be SaaS or more of a prosumer model because in our vision, people become the brands and become the companies. Uh, and that's it's what very Oprah-ish. It's very Oprah-ish that you're kind of tugging on their heartstrings, which probably gets them to fall in love with the product even more. Hopefully. And we have a great time. <laughs> uh, you know, making that Valentine's Day car generator is extremely fun uh, just because it's meaningful. And if we can help people improve their relationship with their significant others, that is more meaningful than a lot of the other, you know, tools that we, we generate. Um, and it's more valuable to people's lives, even if we can't capture that value. Hmm. All right. So how did you, um, how did you and Paul decide who was going to do what? Was that very apparent right from the beginning that you were going to do the coding? He was going to be on the biz dev side or how, how did you divide and conquer that in the early stage? And what's your plan around rolling that out for the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah. So Paul um, has pushed my thinking in unbelievable ways over the last four years or five years since we worked together. Um, at the ESO fund, um, and he's been the visionary. Uh, he saw all of this ha like happening before OpenAI even released GPT-3. As a matter of fact, even right after GPT-2, he was like, this is going to be the future. The question is just when can we get wow. the time, right? Um, and, you know, we had the entire idea of, you know, being able to generate images and, you know, really push our thinking as far as possible. And it turns out, we're just like two or three months ahead <laughs> of the world and that's it. And it's like, wow, we just don't have much of a competitive advantage in terms of really imagining the future. Um, so, you know, he's really, really good at that. And he's really, really good at articulating the mission in a way for people to understand. And that's extremely important. He's really good at selling this entire vision. So he, he does a great job at hiring, at you know, business development slash I guess you can call it marketing, but, you know, it's multiple folds and, you know, at fundraising because they're all very similar skills. On my side, I've been very much an operator at heart, 
even at the last venture firm we were at, I basically touched everything. I was an engineer to help them automate processes. I helped improve solutions. I talked to clients all the time and I would find ways to make things more efficient. Um, and I also helped hire a good amount of the current team there. Um, and so, you know, it, it just came naturally to me. And I love doing things. I love getting things done. So Paul would set up this vision and they'd be like, okay, here we go. How do we get it to happen? And that's my expertise. So it felt it felt pretty naturally. We've been working in this way for a while now. Um, and so we're very familiar with each other's thinking process, um, you know, brainstorming process. And we have really good communication, even remotely. <laughs> what, yeah. What do you think is going to trip you up or um, not, not that it'll, you know, totally hurt you, but what do you think you'll struggle with as a company over the next three years in your growth? What are you thinking about now? You know, you'll figure it out, but it's, it's like in every business or in life, we always have things that are that struggle. What, which ones are you anticipating and, and wanting to think about now? Right now, really top of mind is hiring. And, you know, we hear the story over and over again. If you hire really good initial talent, it compounds significantly. But hiring bad, you know, people initially will actually compound in the opposite direction. So uh, that's definitely a struggle. Um, We've been learning as much as we can and trying to be as patient as possible before really finding, you know, our initial founding uh, team effectively. Now, um, what percent of equity have you allocated to um, to recruit and hire people? Are, are you going to keep it all between the two of you, or is there a portion that you've carved off for employees and for for VCs? What are you thinking there? Yeah, we don't have set numbers, but we do have philosophies, and our philosophy is: if this thing's big, we just want a small piece of it. So we're okay with a lot of dilution, and we want our early team to really feel like founders. Um, and they, we want them to be here for the long term. So uh, what we're discussing internally is whether or not we should be a little bit more innovative on the equity side, um, because we do have a lot of experience <laughs> with employee equity from our last uh, firm. So sure. stuff yeah. that we're thinking about could be, you know, extending the vesting period, like larger grants, extending the vesting period. Um, we've seen some really, really interesting models come out of companies like Pipe where they have like an SPV that's willing to buy up any employee's equity if they want to sell early. Um, and that goes to like another employee. So it's like kind of like recycling and re-upping based off of people's expectations of the company. And we think that that's a really, really interesting model. And we're probably going to follow in their footsteps if it works successfully for them. Um, and then there's also other uh, employee equity models where it's like, oh, you know, specifically around extensions. It's like, if you work for us over two years, then you get like a seven year or like a 10 year extension, NSO extension. Um, Yeah, we are deep in the weeds of um, equity. And luckily we've seen pretty much every single model that a company has around equity. Smart. One of the, one of the companies that I coach called, it's now called Tenuity. It used to be called Elite SEM. They're a big digital marketing firm. I coached them from about 30 employees up to a couple hundred before they sold. And, um, they're, they just sold for the second time. And I was talking to Ben Kirshner, their CEO, about three weeks ago, 25 of their employees became millionaires, wow. which is pretty awesome. Like for, for and yeah. liquid, like they're done. It's not like they traded out for stock. It's like they're 25 people are sitting on at least a million dollars in cash. And, and all of these are like 35 and under. And that's, that's life-changing for 25 people, right? That really helped build the company. And that's, I started coaching them seven years ago when they only had 40 people. So that's pretty amazing success. I think you guys are on that path. 
We hope so. And that's something that means a lot to us. Um, you know, Mark Cuban, I think, has that story of when his company got acquired. He was able to write these checks and give them out to employees, you know, personally. And he's like, you know, this it's the most meaningful part of the journey in many ways. It's powerful. Um, yeah. So what exactly. about yourself? What what are you working on for your skills right now? And then I have one final question, but what skills are you working on for yourself to develop as a leader right now? Yeah, I think I really, uh, once again, hiring is top of mind. So it's recruiting and managing. Um, so recruiting being like, you know, able to sell the vision and try to at least attract them to get to a hiring stage. We haven't pulled the trigger on anyone yet, but once we do that, then it's going to come down to managing. So we're trying to study companies that have been able to manage remote teams successfully and effectively. And uh, that's a lot of research and trying to truly understand the, what worked and what didn't and then see what we think will work for our organization and our mission and culture. Because, you know, a lot of these companies, they all run their ways slightly differently, but it works because it fits their culture. And so being able to define our culture and then working our um, processes and, you know, tactics around that will help a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. If we were to go back to the Chris Liu, the 22-year-old kind of graduating from college, uh, what advice would you give yourself back then that maybe you now you know to be true, but you wish you'd known when you were a little younger? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think back then I was a little bit too spread out. Everything seemed amazing. Um, and these days for both, you know, well, well, we did some angel investing also while at ESO Fund and the realization is you just got to swing for the fence. <laughs> um, and if you swing enough times, eventually you're, you're going to hit. Um, and so I would probably tell myself back then to eat, take even more risk than, you know, I actually did. And I think I did take a lot. Um, uh, you know, when I first joined the ESO fund, the salary was really, really low because, you know, they were starting off. Um, so instead of having the cushy job where you get like six figures, it's like, oh, like half of that, but mm-hmm. a lot of experience. And I think that was a really, really uh, good experience for me. Um, so, oh, go on. Good. No, go ahead. Uh, even just operating ourselves, you know, what we really focus on is the 10x improvements. Where can you find 10x improvements? And you have a lot of theories, but it's hard to execute on. So it's like, oh, we think that this onboarding experience could provide a 10x, you know, conversion on, on this funnel. But it's like really executing on it. And then if you hit one, it's so much more meaningful than anything else you can really do. Yeah, we did both. We did that when we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNKS. We had six consecutive years of 100% revenue growth. And then um, we also did what would we have to change systematically? What system would break or what system would we need to put in place if we were 10 times larger today? What would what would we have to change? And that stretched our thinking as well because it wasn't like, what could we do? It's like, oh shit, we have to. We're just 10 times bigger now. Like what would have to change? And that was powerful. So talking about swing for the fences, um, how deep are you into Bitcoin and Ethereum? Are you, did you did you get in? Yeah, yeah pretty deep. Um, I was fascinated by all of that in 2017. I listened to I think an Andreessen Horowitz podcast early 2017, and I think a lot of other people were converted by that podcast. They were able to articulate um, the vision uh, behind this decentralized technology, um, and that was, it really resonated with me. <laughs> um, 
And since then, I've been very active in the space up until probably pretty recently when we started copy.ai. So mm. my former roommate in San Francisco actually runs a company uh, in that space. They, at least they were in the space. Now they've shifted into like, how do we transition the current web into this space? Um, and it's really, really powerful as well. That's cool. Yeah, I was part of a mastermind group years ago and I got to meet uh, Vitalik's parents, uh, Maria and Dimitri uh, Buterin. So I got exposed to Ethereum back in 2016 and I got involved and I, I had been posting on Facebook in 2014 that people should be, that I was accepting Bitcoin as payment. And wow. I kept having all these people laughing at me and they're going, you're such an idiot. And about three weeks ago, I got an email from a friend of mine. And he said, you were right. I was wrong. I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he replied, you were very, very right. I was very, very wrong. I'm like, dude, I still have no idea what you're talking about. And he goes, Bitcoin. I'm like, oh, shit. That's right. I forgot. Um, I wish I'd gotten in deeper and swung the fences. I'm in and I'm in pretty deep. But I really, I mean, hindsight is 20-20, right? So, it always be deeper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how I feel too. <laughs> All right, Bye. Chris Chris Liu, the COO and co-founder for Copy.ai. Really appreciate you um, being on our Second Command podcast and sharing with us. Thanks so much. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun and I've learned a lot actually. And you gave us a few mental models to really work off of. Cool. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.